playing right now with the U.S. government in crypto is like playing with like a five-year-old who like doesn't tell you the rules of the game. And and as soon as you're like winning or doing something good, they just go, oh, that's actually illegal. You know, like, yeah. oh, you can't do that. You're like, well, you didn't tell me that at the beginning of the game. Bogdan, Brian, and their guests are not registered investment advisors. Nothing discussed today should be relied on for investment decisions, nor is it investment advice. This show is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please work directly with an investment professional. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Crypto Safari podcast, where we glide across the DGen jungle, spotting those delicious DAOs and crispy coins that you can add to your bags. As always, my name is Bogdan, and I have Brian here with me. How's it going, Bri? It's going well, Bogdan. That uh, opening uh, kind of made me hungry, I'll be honest. Oh, yeah. You can yeah. tell what's on my mind right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> crispy, crispy bits. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of crispy bits, you had a little adventure in Costa Rica. You look nice and tan. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, great time down there. I recommend it for anybody who's looking for a little bit of fun surf and sun. Uh, definitely got a nice, nice tan on the top of my base. And as I was telling you earlier, I sunburned my eyeballs, which apparently is a thing uh, out in the water surfing for too long. So That's anybody it. who's going, make sure you put a lot of lotion liberally all over your eyeballs to prevent. <laughs> How do you put lotion on your eyeballs? I understand like your eyelids, but your eyeballs? Well, you have someone pry open your eyelids and then you just squirt it in there. Ah. And then you just kind of this milky white glaze. Then you just um, cry. <laughs> yeah, you just cry. Um, actually, I don't know what, I mean, you, you you know what it's like. You can't really wear sunglasses when you're surfing and you're not going to be out there with some swim goggles on, you know. Yeah. I, I say you just surf with your eyes closed. How about that? Well, I do that anyway. <laughs> out um, of fear. Yeah, out of fear. Well, you know, it's just, um, yeah, you know, I didn't really see, I didn't really read a lot about what you can do. Uh, maybe putting some like that stuff that the football players wear to for, prevent glare. Mm. Um, but also just not being out for that long until your eyes are adjusted to the heat. I mean, you're close to the equator. Uh, so the hunt sun's a little bit more direct. Uh, but yeah, it, it, other than, than burning the, my eyeballs, it, it was amazing. Um, really cool. Uh, great country, great people. I recommend it for anybody who's feeling adventurous. It's my, one of my favorite spots. Love it. Love it. Yeah. While while you were in Costa Rica surfing, I was also surfing the showroom and the conference halls of Consensus 2023. Yeah. Well, also before that, you were surfing Africa. I was, yes. I, I did go to Egypt and Israel uh, for for those who have never been, like me, highly recommend it. Uh, completely polar opposite countries. Egypt felt, you know, super like authentic, like old, you know, yeah. like, like you could just like, you could feel the sand, you could smell the dust. Mm -hmm. And then Israel, extremely modern, like skyscrapers, mm -hmm. like basically like being in a modern European city, really, really interesting contrast. Yeah. So in Egypt, you're basically, you're signing all your bills on papyrus. Mm -hmm. In Israel, it's all digitally scanned cap and cards. Oh yeah. Like we, we were exiting the airport parking lot with my friends that I met up with there. And I was like, wait, your parking's free. You don't have to pay. And he's like, Hey, of course I just paid. 
they know who I am. Like they, they just know with cameras, like who you are in your, your car. You don't have to, you know, wow. pay with car. That's so old school. Well, there's a, I mean, the tech industry in Israel is booming right now. There's a lot of startups, a lot of tech companies, design, uh, marketing, um, crypto. They're, 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 their game is on over there. Yeah, yeah. It was re really impressive. Highly recommend going there. Um, but let's jump into some crypto talk here. We have yeah. two excellent questions uh, from listeners. We have one about inflation and Bitcoin, and then we also have one about the NFT market. But before we get into those, let's jump into the news. Yeah. And I'm going to share a little bit of uh, recap here from Consensus. So for those of you guys who aren't familiar Consensus is one of our favorite crypto uh, conferences that we go to. Uh, it's in Austin. It's a really, really fun time. Good mix of crypto, NFTs, and also just like socializing mm -hmm. with like-minded people. So and barbecue. Yes, barbecue. Amazing barbecue. So highly recommend. Um, the big TLDR from Consensus this year, and I was really interested to hear about this because obviously we're in a down market there wasn't as much rah-rah as, mm -hmm. as there was last year. Um, but right now, the consensus really was, right now is kind of a time of building. So a lot mm -hmm. of people were pointing out, it's almost good that the environment is quiet so that people aren't getting distracted by, you know, the next thing, jumping from project to project to project, because there isn't that, like, flurry of money and people entering the space. The people who are truly building are just kind of heads down building product, making stuff that that's going to be really, really good once crypto starts uh, going on the up and up again. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm kind of seeing that like I was looking at coin market cap today, as I always do before our shows. And I was looking at like, you know, the top gainers um, for today. And, you know, the top like, almost all of them, are, are really solid projects. I don't see any like shit coins on there. No like gimmicky, like, you know, win Lambo coin or, you know, the next Doge knockoff coin and all these other like community driven coins with no utility. Like I'm not seeing that. It's all really like level headed. Like this is where we provide liquidity. We we're a DeFi chain that does this and this. And there's you know, a lot of focus on DeFi, a lot of focus on um, liquidity um, just basic like fundamentals. And I think that's a, a good sign. It shows that, you know, there is this the kind of this um, base network or infrastructure that's being built to support all the other projects. And so, um, yeah, I think it's great. Now, that's what happened, you know, like we talked about this in terms of the, the first dot com boom. And so I think we're seeing some of that like kind of after effect. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, a lot of more concentration on the actual technology being developed as opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, community, ecosystem, all these like uh, kind of fluffy thing. words. And moony moon tokens and all this yeah. stuff that's like, yeah, anyway. Exactly. Um, another big headline, a theme that kept coming up was actually this idea of that this economic uncertainty that we're having right now could actually push people into crypto uh, people who don't even have any interest in the tech of crypto, but they just want that stability of crypto compared to fiat currencies. So there was a speaker from Argentina who was saying, guys, like you guys are freaking out about 8% inflation, 10% inflation, 15% inflation. He said in Argentina, 
the annual inflation rate for 2022 was 94%. Yeah. So imagine your money just like being halved or more oh, yeah. in one year. You know, Argentina is like one of those funny places where they've been having problems with their currency, their monetary policy, fiscal policy for like 20 years now. Mm -hmm. And it's just been this ongoing thing. It's really remarkable. They haven't figured this out. And, you know, when you talk about crypto as a place of stability, you know, that's something that I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> but we were like, like the person was speaking of when you talk about countries where like hyperinflation is just doing the business as usual, then all these other tokens seem very stable and very safe. Yeah, yeah. And Argentina is not the only country where this is happening. I think no. being, you know, like US centered, it's very easy to just think about US economics and policies. But this is happening in many countries around the world right now. So a lot of people are simply using crypto as a store of value, meaning when you get your paycheck, in Argentina, for example, you wouldn't keep it in Argentinian dollars. You would immediately transfer it, for example, into Bitcoin. Bitcoin can go up and down, but it's not going to go up or down 94%, you know, uh, in one year, right? Like a lot less likely. And then when you need to buy something, you change it back into Argentine dollars. You buy your thing and that's how you can kind of use it. So that was really interesting. Um there was a really good comment that I wrote down. This is from Alex Thorne. He's the head of firm-wide research at Galaxy. And he said, Bitcoin will rise as a reserve currency as more money is printed. More money will be printed because it's our only and easiest way out of debt. So all these governments that have gotten into huge amounts of debt because of COVID and all the policies that they, you know, we basically shut down the world's economy. Everyone's in debt right now. Instead of trying to pay back that debt, you just print more money and you kind of erase your debt. Well, yes and no. I mean, it's it, it's one way to deal with the problem. But it's funny because no one's really mentioning uh, the other issues too, which is you know fiscal conservancy. Uh, scaling back, um, tight, you know, tighter here's, monetary policy. It's... Here's the issue. Here's the issue with that is polit those are all like very sound things to do. However, which politician is going to get elected? The one who says, hey, guys, I'm going to tighten up fiscal policy. We're going to cut back. I'm re we're really or the one who goes, we're going to build things bigger. We are going to invest in the future. Right. Like. Who's well, going to get elected? Not the guy who's telling you, hey, stop spending money. We're not going to have money anymore. I mean, you, you run on on the, that platform of like, we're going to do all these great things. And then when you get elected, then you say, OK, time for the real talk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure, but then you don't get reelected. That's the issue. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, tr I trust me. I, I It's definitely um, a problem of, uh, of politics rather than good economic policy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that that was really interesting. That was kind of the the big, you know, headlines uh, around the economics. Um, there was also a really interesting talk. Uh, this was by Spencer Tucker. He's the chief gaming officer at Yuga Labs. Yuga Labs being uh, the team behind Board Ape Yacht Club. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Re really, really big. Um, uh, basically the biggest organization in NFTs. Um, and he said... Uh, people don't like what they don't understand. I was there when free to play was a dirty word in gaming. 
this is no different. And he's referring to metaverse gaming. So remember when free to play was like a joke? It's like free to play. How are you ever going to make money off of that? That's so right. And all these like big game studios made fun of it. Now all of the games are basically free to play and they just charge you for, you know, your your costume, your skins, all these little things. Right. Yeah. Once you get in the game, get in the play, it's free. But then once you're in, that's when you get taxed. Yeah. Yeah. So he's saying that metaverse gaming is going to be very similar in that right now everyone's making fun of it. It's like, who's going to be in the metaverse? Like, oh, what is, you know, it's just going to be a bunch of nerds. No way. And then it catches on and everyone's in the metaverse. And it's like, of course. Well, I mean, we talked about this before, but I mean, metaverse gaming has been around for a long time and it's it's popular. I mean, you could Fortnite is basically metaverse gaming. I'm not sure what the difference is. Um, are they talking about VR or just the concept of the the entire the entire idea of metaverse of NFTs, meaning you can hold on to the items that you purchase. Um, one one guy who was uh, presenting at the conference said that his son, who is 13 years old, has spent $1,000 on Fortnite. $1,000 on Fortnite, which is a free-to-play game, but just on all the skins and all these things. Mm -hmm. Like, over time, it added up to $1,000. And at, at a certain point, his son came to a realization when he was like, I, I think I'm done with Fortnite. And he realized, wait, I can't export all the stuff I bought, like it's just mm -hmm. going to be stuck in the game. Yeah. And so, so many people are going to come to this realization of like, I want, if I'm going to invest serious money into a game, like I want to be able to take it back out. I want to be able to sell those things that I bought either on the marketplace or take them with me to another game, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, but taking to another, I get the, the selling it on like a secondary market, but I guess you'd have to games would all have to kind of be using the same type of um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say skins, but there has to be some kind of interconnectivity. Yeah. You know, so you can take something from, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't know how far along we're with that, but I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Um, okay. I mean, you get bored or, with games or, or for example, even just one game studio could, for example, have mm. all of their games be interconnected and that's a strength. So uh, I could say, for for example, if I'm Blizzard, I could say, hey, like you should come play Warcraft because the stuff you buy in Warcraft, you can export to this game, yeah. this game, this game, all these games that are in our same ecosystem mm -hmm. um, so that would get someone to play that game over just a single game where your stuff is kind of stuck in that. Yeah, one you get a lot of fun with that, too, where you bring in like some weird thing to into a different like world, you know, and you're like, hey, that guy, you know, so it's <laughs> that guy plays that thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you're in the world of Warcraft. You've got like some futuristic technology on it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I could see it yeah. being this being kind of fun with that. Um, but yeah, that makes sense. Um, speaking of Blizzard, did you see that Microsoft, uh, the deal got blocked by a court in the UK? I did not. What What is this? Well, Microsoft was uh, planning on buying Blizzard for, I think, like $60 billion, something crazy like that. Um, but a judge or a court in the UK blocked the, the sale from happening because it would have created a monopoly. Um, really? How, yeah. how did they justify it as a monopoly? Because, I mean, there's so many other gaming studios. Out there. Um, I think it's about like tying Blizzard games into the um, uh, what's Microsoft's? 
Xbox. That's not the is it the Xbox? Xbox, yep. Yeah. So basically all Blizzard games would just be uh provided on the Xbox system. Ah, uh, I see, I see. Yeah, but they had already talked about making it available for everybody, every every console. Um, but that wasn't enough. And so yeah, kind of a big deal. It just happened like a few days ago. So maybe right. a week ago. Yeah, so, yeah. That there's a lot of this kind of like anti-competitive uh stuff happening right now. It's really interesting how it's shaking out. Yeah, well, I, I feel like, um, you know, people are reigning in big tech across the board. And uh, this kind of is an example of it where um, people aren't as, as kind and like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, do whatever you want as long as you give us free stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little yeah. bit of a backlash. Anyway, continue, though. Sure. Uh, so so that's my uh, news from Consensus. Hmm. I just have one other news story which I think is is definitely worth mentioning, which is this kind of huge downturn in the NFT markets. So all of a sudden, a lot of these whales uh, are selling their NFTs, but in like batches of dozens or even hundreds at a time. So the big news story was uh, one of the biggest NFT whales, uh, Jeffrey Huang. Um, he's known as Maki Big Brother. Uh, he actually sold... 1,010 tokens uh, for 11,680 Ether, which is the equivalent of $18 million. And he did this in the space of 48 hours, meaning That's... like huge dump into the market of all sorts of high value NFTs, uh, CryptoPunks, Bored Apes, like wow. tons and tons of stuff. And so and that's one whale, but other people are doing the same thing? Yeah, yeah. There, there's been like this kind of like whale exodus out of NFTs. Some people suspect that it's simply because of taxes. So uh, uh, either having to pay taxes or trying to do tax loss uh, harvesting, meaning that's basically when you have an asset that goes down in value, you can sell it and declare that as a loss on your taxes and say, hey, I lost this money. The thing is with NFTs and crypto, you can then go and buy similar or the exact same assets at that exact same price and you're back in the market, but you still get to claim that loss on your taxes. So some people are suspecting that's what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, that's like, I can see doing that with like, you know, a stock where you know there's plenty of it on the market and it's ubiquitous. But when it comes to NFTs, which is what's which are scarce, then the, I mean, it's kind of a gamble thinking that you can buy it back. They're, they're not always scarce. So the thing is, when you sell, say that there are 10,000 NFTs and you sell 1,000 of them, that's going to flood the market and the prices are actually going to come down. So then you can just go in and you can actually buy NFTs in bulk. So if mm. you want to buy like 100 NFTs from one project, there are tools that can allow you to do that. So you can kind of trade them, not quite like stocks, but it's not as difficult to buy them back as you might think. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, the whale NFT exodus, the great whale NFT exodus of 2023. <laughs> Put that on your calendar. <laughs> tell, your, tell, you, tell your kid about it. Um, <laughs> cool, man. Uh, man, in terms of news for me, uh, you know, there's kind of a lot going on, but it's it's all kind of boring. <laughs> well, oh, don't man. share boring things with yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, no, it's well. You know, the weird thing that I've noticed is uh, Polygon has had uh, quite a bit of a dip in in its price recently, which is kind of weird because they just signed a deal with uh, Franklin Templeton 
to launch a money market fund on Polygon. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, they announced um, basically that uh, Franklin is basically creating an on-chain U.S. government money fund called The Fund. Um, It's like the largest U.S. registered mutual fund to use public blockchain to process transactions and share ownership supported by a blockchain, in this case, Polygon. So that seems like a huge deal, right? Yeah. And their price has been getting battered this week. Mm, how much? Like, what? What's Polygon trading at? Do you think? Uh, yeah, let me take a look. It fell below a dollar, I think, which is oh wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Me, yeah, I know. I, I was watching. And I'm like, what the? What's going on here? Because you know, I'm very bullish. I think we're both pretty bullish on Polygon. So, uh, I would probably purchase some Polygon if it's if it's gone down that much. But the thing that's interesting is Polygon has kind of spread its tentacles so to speak into a lot of really big corporations yeah we've covered it before on the the podcast and so that's what gives me confidence like it's powering you know uh this franklin templeton thing um it uh powers some of like amazon or facebook one of the big tech companies so i wonder why it's going down i feel like it's it could be a hidden gem I don't know. I mean, the, it's it's down only 8% the last 30 days, which isn't that bad. I mean, it, it, <laughs> in crypto terms, that's like, ah, it's nothing. That's nothing. Uh, but it did dip below a dollar at one point. It's it's back up. It's only down like, well, it's up 4% in like the last 24 hours. But I mean, it just seems like one of those projects that you wouldn't see that. So I don't know. It's probably something having to do with the broader economy. Um, I don't know. There's been a lot of like, there was a huge dip in the last like 30 days because of the government announced like different regulations and yep. all these bills. They're basically trying to kill crypto. And so I think a lot of people got freaked out. Yeah. Um, I do know. think we should mention Brian Armstrong, CEO of Coinbase. Yeah is debating whether to move Coinbase out of the U.S. because the the regulations just are so unclear and also seem, you know, pretty uh, crypto agnostic, crypto angry. Yeah, well, you know, it's I think it has to do with the the threat of crypto um, and their, their printing of money. Um, And on that on that topic, Coinbase actually launched their international exchange recently. Oh, okay. Interesting. So they're already like they're 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 got one foot out the door, and yeah. I think we're going to see that a lot more for U.S. based exchanges, uh, because I mean it's just first of all, it's not just the regulation; it's the regulation uncertainty. Yeah, you know, and uh, Brian Armstrong was just like just explain to me the rules. I want some clear yeah. regulatory rules, and no one can give him that. No one can give him a clear answer, and so that's is is worse for markets than actual regulation. It's uncertainty that kills kills markets. And um, yeah, I don't blame them. I, I think it's I think the government's making a huge mistake. They're going to uh, kill the crypto innovation industry in the US. It's going to be pushed overseas. We're going to fall behind. And it's something that you can't stop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think they're really doing themselves a disfavor in, in terms of the way they're re- reacting to it because all of a sudden we're not going to be the world leaders in this, in this technology. Yeah. Playing, and, right, playing right now with the... U.S. government in crypto is like playing with like a five-year-old who like doesn't tell you the rules of the game. And and as soon as you're like winning or doing something good, they just go, oh, that's actually illegal. You know, like, yeah. oh, you can't do that. You're like, well, you didn't tell me that at the beginning of the game. <laughs> All these retroactive lawsuits is, is exactly what you're talking about. It's like, oh, by the way, you didn't do this right. And they're like, oh, okay, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it's, 
uh, it's it's a mess, and I'm really uh, disappointed in our government, which is normally the case, but uh, we won't get into that. Um, <laughs> All yes, right. pretty much the news. That's the news. Yeah. Sounds good. Let's uh, jump yeah. into listener questions. I teased oh, this yeah. a little bit at the beginning. Um, we have two pretty good questions. I'm excited to see your thoughts here. Mm -hmm. uh, the first question here is from Sandro. He would like to know, many thought that Bitcoin should have been an inflation hedge. Why do you think it hasn't behaved similarly like gold in this high inflation environment? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, and it's something that's been talked about a lot. And I think a lot of it has to do with, I mean, I think it has to do with just go, like overall, just like global adoption. A lot of people still haven't bought into Bitcoin. So there's still a lot of skepticism about it. It's not like gold where, you know, it's been around since for millions of years. Well, it, it had been around for millions of years, but, you know, that hundreds of, well, what do you think? 50, 100,000 years, it's been considered a, a precious asset, you know? And so uh, it's, it's a lot, it's, it's a different animal and it, it, people don't think it has a lot of intrinsic value, which is also the problem. Um, gold does, for example, if you're thinking about an inflation hedge. Um, and so I think it's an intrinsic value, overall just adoption and also the volatility of it. Um, inflation hedges is usually a place of safety, of consistency. And, you know, Bitcoin, you know, compared to other crypto currencies and tokens, it seems pretty safe, but it's still down 60, 70% year over year. And so if you want to uh, hedge against inflation, you don't want to, you know, lose 60% of the value as you're trying to protect from losing 10% of, of the rise in, of inflation. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I think that's probably the, a lot to do with it. What, what's your opinion on it? I think you hit on two really important points. The first one being there isn't enough adoption of Bitcoin yet. So for example, if someone is trying to hedge against inflation, most of the people are going to go to gold for it. The people who are going to go and use Bitcoin instead for an inflation hedge aren't going to be enough that they're going to move the price of Bitcoin. Yeah. Right? So there's a lot more traders who aren't using it as a hedge, who are using it as trading on a daily basis, weekly basis, what have you, versus people treating it as an inflation hedge. So I think... Once we get more and more adoption, particularly with big institutions, I think the price will start, you know, stabilizing because it's not going to be all these daily traders. Uh, and then we will also see the price going up as an inflation hedge as more of those inflation hedge type of investors come on board. So I think those are kind of the two big factors that yeah. affect this. So, I mean, think about people who are worried about inflation and hedging against it. Those are people who usually have a large amount of wealth. You know what I mean? It's not your average Joe or your young crypto holder who's worried about inflation so much. These are people who, have, who are going to lose millions of dollars yeah, as yeah. The, the value of their dollar becomes devalued. And so I think in that sense, you know, it's it's really not at a place, you know, gold is easy to get for most people. You can buy it from a, a trusted uh, place like a bank or a um, I figure where else you get gold, but I mean, it, it's, it's more, it's, it's more understood by people. Um, and I just don't, a lot of people don't really care about inflation because it's just like, yeah, whatever. I'm not saving any money anyway, <laughs> you know? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see maybe someday, uh, it will be considered that, but uh, yeah, we're just not there yet. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but very good question, Sandro. I, I like yeah, it. Great question. Um, our next question here is from Alicia. Uh, she is asking, are you still bullish on NFTs? And if so, which NFTs are standing out during this tough time? Mm. So, Brian, are you still bullish on NFTs? I remain neutral. <laughs> what's the, what's a neutral animal? I'm I'm sloth. Yeah, you're, 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 you're very kind. You're very kind to NFTs. Uh, yeah. I can take this one. Uh, good question, Alicia. So I am still bullish on NFTs. I think the technology is really promising in how it can basically help you track memberships into a group. It can help you have voting rights into a DAO. It can also help you with, uh, you know, paying artists a royalty in a very uh, targeted way. So they have a lot of functionality behind the tech. Uh, not It's not just art, right? Um, NFT projects that are standing out during this tough time. I mean, a lot of NFT projects right now are going down in value. One that is staying that is holding its value and even rising a little bit in value, which is really impressive, is Azuki. Um, Azuki is, uh, for those that don't know, is like a very uh, fashion-based NFT. Um, it's really, it's, uh, I guess I would say it's like curated. The The founders of it just know how to make something cool. Like when it came out, it was really cool. It's maintained that cool factor. They're about to have an event in June and there's no information about what is going to happen at this event. It's like event in June, meet at this place in Vegas, be there, right? Like there's, there's a certain air of mystery to it. I think they've done a really good job with curation of the, the artwork and everything. Um, so Azuki would be one of them. Uh, I also think that other kind of more uh, company-led NFTs are interesting. So Nike just uh, opened up a new NFT project, which is uh, Our Force Ones, similar to Air Force Ones, mm. uh, where you can buy a digital copy of Air Force Ones. It's like a digital shoe. And you're like, why would I buy a digital shoe? That's so useful. Yeah. Uh, the idea here is, in the future, people who hold these NFTs could potentially have access to limited edition Nikes, to special events, things like that. And the best part, this is why I mention it, is they're selling them for only uh, $19.95, like a reasonable price. So it's like, oh, I'm going to throw down 20 bucks, become a member of this Nike NFT group. It's like, if it goes to nothing, all right, I spent 20 bucks. If it goes to something, it's like, oh, like that was a great buy. Um, yeah. So I think Nike is one of those companies that doesn't just hop on the bandwagon. They're pretty thoughtful about the campaigns that they put out. So that's another one that's stood out lately. Yeah, I'm looking at Azuki right now, their website. And so it's it's a lot of, um, I don't know, what would you call it? It's like kind of Japanimation. Yes, yeah, it's very Japanese uh, style. One thing that I heard about it from NFT NYC is that apparently it's really, really popular in Asia. So like the the community in Asia finds this to be like, this is our NFT project. Like this represents, you know, like Asian culture, the cool parts of, of Asia. Um, so when you think about, you know, a, a billion, two billion people in Asia, 
who could be into NFTs, and this is kind of the project that speaks to them, it has a lot of potential. Yeah, I could see that. Have you noticed that none of the NFT characters actually look Asian, though? Uh, some of them do. Some of them do. They they vary. Yeah. Yeah, they vary. But I mean, if you look at the like the the, I mean, they're all profiles basically, and none of them really look have like an Asian profile, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's a very uh interesting project. I actually was in the project before they debuted any of yeah. the artwork, and I was like, oh, should I buy this? No, it's too expensive. It was one ETH was kind of the, the buy-in. And now I'm like, oh, they're selling for 15, even in this down market. Like 15 Ether, really? Oh, uh, yeah. Like 15 is the floor. I'm like, yet again, an opportunity I missed. So I don't own any Azuki. I don't own any of the Nike NFTs. So this is not me pumping my own bags. Those are just the two that stood out to me. So thank you, Sandro and Alicia, for those questions. If you guys have any questions that you want to submit, remember you can always reach us at questions at cryptosafari.us. That is our email address, um, and we'll take them on the next podcast. Um, with that, should we get into our two cryptocurrencies for today? Yes, let's just dive right in. Do it. All right. So before we dive in, the way that we evaluate any cryptocurrency here is our formula, which is called PTAC plus T. Uh, that stands for purpose, team, advantage, community, and tokenomics. So those are the five factors we're going to look at when we're looking at our cryptocurrencies here. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to the very tan, very suave Brian to uh, notice go first uh yeah man it's been a while since we've done this I'm, I'm a little bit rusty but let's let's give it a shot um and i think i went uh, you went first last time so yep <laughs> um all right let's jump right into it so this week um i did a little something called a render token Ooh, never heard of it yeah good i for a second i was like did we already do this one uh, but uh, yeah, I, I chose Render Token because it happened to be on the top of the uh, gainers list for trending tokens on Coin Market Cap, which you know is a, a place I love to go uh, for my weekly picks. And so, uh, Render Token uh, basically its purpose is it provides decentralized GPU-based rendering for artists and studios in need of more computing power. Ooh, I'm very, I'm actually very interested in this. Yeah, <laughs> I thought you'd like this one. I think it actually kind of, uh, maybe not bleeds in so much into the NFTs, but it's 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 all about art creation and digital media. Um, and so let let's let's dig a little deeper. I think you're gonna, I think you're gonna like this one. Okay, so for people who don't don't know, um, a GPU is basically a graphics performance um, unit. Is that right? Yep. Yep. And so basically it's the computing power that's used to render like um, high definition graphics, you know, for video games, that sort of thing. Anytime you want to use and view something on a computer, it takes a lot of power. Okay. It's also, I might add, it's also very necessary for crypto. Cryptos use a lot of GPUs and mm. AI uses a lot of GPUs. Yes. So anything that requires a lot of RAM is going to use a lot of GPU. And so we'll get into that too. I'm glad you brought that up. And so let's just bring this into perspective because it'll make a little more sense to people who aren't really uh, um, you know, in the scene. So the average laptop uses about 30 to 40 watts per hour of energy. So we're talking about energy here. Okay. Uh, large desktops or gaming computers, they use between 200 and 500 watts per hour. Okay. okay. Rendering needs a lot of power and generates a lot of heat. 
Uh, a mid-range desktop computer can use up to 600 to 800 watts per hour when rendering. Yeah, crazy. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and it's so intensive uh, because rendering is just an intensive task. It takes up a lot of RAM. Um, programs like After Effects um, take up a lot because when you're working on this sort of thing, um, it has to save it so you can preview it. And so if you're working on, say, let's uh, like a video game, and you're rendering all of this like really high definition, really like realistic graphics, then you it has to save all this so you can preview it before the, the work is done, okay? Yeah. Um, and at a certain point, um, scaling uh, GPU rendering power just becomes too difficult. It's like the law of diminishing returns. Even with cloud-based uh, computing power, it's still scaling, it's just, it doesn't get you there. And it becomes more and more difficult the more power you wanna use. Um, and so that's the purpose behind um, a render is to basically connect uh, artists studios with um, crypto miners who are not using their GPU power when they're sitting idle. Mm. And so they connect those two and you can rent out your GPU power to studios and artists to make money while you're not doing anything with it. That's awesome. I, I yeah. love that idea. Pretty cool, huh? Um, and so use so rendering um, networks, uh, this, this rendering network is used for things like media, um, other industries, AR, VR, MR, which is mixed reality, uh, gaming, and also medical uses. So if you're rendering maybe some sort of um, 3D digital spectroscope or some sort of thing, then this could be another use for it. So cool stuff. Um, let's get into the team. Uh, so the company was founded in 2016 by a guy named Jules Erbach. You might have heard of him. He's also the founder CEO of a company named Otoy. Otoy. Uh, O-T-O-Y. I'm just kidding. You never heard of him. <laughs> um, anyway, he's a pioneer in uh, computer graphics, streaming, and 3D rendering. He's been in the business for 25 years. Um, his company, Otoy, created a rendering product called Octane. Okay, and this is one of the first GPU rendering um, platforms that would that created cinematic realism. Mm -hmm. uh, it was used for the opening of Westworld. Oh wow! You know how cool that opening is, right? Yep, yep, yep. That was that Octane was uh, built on that. Um, it's also used for video game development, um, especially AR and VR. Okay, uh, headquarters is based in Los Angeles, California. Oh, okay, so okay. Uh, somewhat local. I'm what local, and that's going to be a, a component later. Uh, but their team is based around the globe. Uh, they have an interesting advisory board made up is such a people as Ari Emanuel. Uh, he's co-founder and co-CEO of WME. Okay. Okay. Ari Emanuel is the guy that Ari Gold from Entourage was based after. Oh, okay. I, I, I never watched Entourage, so but uh -huh. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, his character is based after Ari Emanuel. He started like this huge talent agency in LA. Now he's doing a bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. Also on the board is a guy you might have heard of named J.J. Abrams. Oh, I've heard of him. Nice yeah. guy. Yeah, he makes some cool stuff. Mm -hmm. um, another guy named Brendan Ike. He's the founder of Brave Software and Bat. Also a guy named Mike Winkleman. He's an artist at Beeple. Have you heard of Beeple? Oh, I have heard of Beeple. <laughs> have you really? Yeah, Be Beeple is like the most famous NFT artist. Yeah, that's what, yeah. yeah. In the world. Yeah, yeah. Like he sold like for his painting for whatever, $80 million or something ridiculous like that. Wait, is Beeple then as the name of the person or the name of the company? Name of a person. Okay. It says this guy's an artist at Beeple. So I'm not sure. It's got to be the same thing. It could be, or it could, it could be a company. But if it's Beeple, the guy, 
Yeah, yeah. it's not the guy. He's an artist at Beeple. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I don't know if they're connected. Anyway, he's worked on stuff for um, Apple, SpaceX, Nike, Coca-Cola, Adobe, Pepsi, Samsung, and others. So that's the advisory board. Pretty, pretty, you know, pretty heavy hitters in terms of in the industry. Uh, and so for the advantage, um, basically, the render network provides uh, GPU rendering at a fraction of the cost and speed of doing this in-house. So you're getting more computing power at a cheaper cost, which is like the yeah. holy grail of most things, cheaper and um, faster. Yeah. You know, um, and so the render token is an ERC20 utility token um, used to connect the artist and the miners, or so they're crypto miners who have the extra power. So the token is used to connect them. Basically, it's a payment. They use something called proof of render, which is a system that makes sure that the art has been successfully rendered before the payment is released and the art is released. So oh, instead of cool. work, proof of render. Um, and basically, they're also bridging the gap between cryptocurrencies and Hollywood studio production. I love that. Which is a cool that. play. Yeah, yeah. So that's the connection. That's the Hollywood base has mm. a lot to do with it. So if you think about people like JJ Abrams, you know, in Bad Robot Studios, using uh, this network to do their rendering, it just makes sense. And so this guy's been in that industry, in that community for 25 years. So, you know, he's got his hands in a lot of different areas and he knows a lot of people. So I could see this being a really cool project to get in now. Um, well, it's early if you're interested in this sort of thing. Um, okay, so other advantages, uh, network scalability. As we mentioned, there's limits to the amount of rendering that can, done can be done locally. Um, this makes it possible to leverage um, worldwide networks of GPU power in a decentralized way. Yeah. And can anyone, uh, you might get to this uh, in a second, but can anyone rent out their GPU or do you have to you know, be a big company or something? Um, that is a good question. I, I believe that right now um, you have to be using Octane, the rendering software. And so there might be a barrier to entry in terms of the cost of that software but also i think it's it's, it's an open market so if you can bid high enough mm. then i think that will determine it so i'm not sure exactly what the um you know what the cost is right now but i will we will get into that in a bit because they do talk about um, when it comes to the community they, i will talk about how this is going to make it cheaper for people over the world to render graphics so um in terms of just the cost and like the barriers to entry not 100 sure so we'll see. Um, another advantage is just taking advantage of sleeping uh, GPU networks. Uh, most GPUs remain idle. So it's just a lot of a potential power being wasted. Um, another uh, advantage is digital rights management. So apparently there's no universally accepted storage location for artists to store their work. Um, and so this is allowing it to be stored on a blockchain ledger uh, using storage protocols um, through render. And so artists will have access to their designs and creations and a record uh, of where they're being stored. Mm. Okay. So yeah, so di digital ownership management and record. Um, in terms of the community, um, in Q2 2022, there were 684 nodes providing GPU um, uh, power. So good amount. Um, 2021, 1.6 million frames rendered. Wow. Um, in between 2017 and 2021, there was a million dollars paid out to um, nodes for their work. So this is pretty established if it's been around for a while. 
Yeah, it's been around for a while. And so that was between, you know, for uh, four years, it was a million dollars. In 2021, it was $2.8 million paid out. That's a huge jump. Yeah, huge jump. Um, in 2022 Q1, there was a 300% increase in new creators joining the rend joining render compared to Q1 2021. So in one year, they saw a 300% increase in creators on the network getting things rendered. Mm -hmm. So kind of a big deal. Uh, total holders of the token, uh, 29, basically 30,000. Um, another interesting thing about the community, the mixed reality and virtual reality sector is projected to become a $692 billion industry by 2025. So big money there. Mm -hmm. um, also, they're saying if, if it's successfully implemented, um, it will reduce the relevance of geographical borders in terms of artists getting stuff rendered. So if developers in Europe, Africa, and Asia can easily, reliably, cheaply, and flexibly access GPU power from anywhere in the world, this will mean an exponential, exponential growth in the development of compelling content. So we'll have this network effect of just more content being created. And so in this turn, it will likely accelerate a global uh, consumer adoption of virtual reality, mixed reality, and augmented reality. Hmm. Okay. So, so the combination, which I think is we have, have some, a few things coming and like converging at the same time in this project, um, you know, the rise of AR, AI being open source and easily yeah. accessible. You have uh, an increase in accessibility to GPU power, which you need for both. Mm -hmm. And you also have a um, distributed ledger for tracking and uh, organizing payments, as well as a rise in augmented uh, and mixed reality coming together all at the same time. And so I think these things together are going to feed off each other and create another network effects that could see a huge leap forward in, in all those technologies uh, at once. Mm -hmm. That's my prediction. Yeah, yeah. I, this is really interesting because... One thing that I've been thinking about investing in non-crypto related is mm -hmm. just like GPU manufacturers. So NVIDIA, AMD, because AI is on the rise. Like we've only like we're at the very beginnings of AI in terms of like mass adoption. So AI uses a lot of GPU power. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, oh, like, let me hop on that train. But People have already hopped on the train before me. It's a crowded train. GPU prices are really expensive. It's yeah. really expensive to uh, buy NVIDIA stock right now. So maybe this is kind of like a little side door, you know, like get in the caboose type of thing and still ride the train along the way. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, get in the caboose, but also, um, you know, I wouldn't say you're buying the shovel in the sense of like, you know, the people got rich during the gold rush, but you're buying you know, the network of how the, the marketplace, you're buying into the marketplace of the exchange of a, a token for a GPU power. And so if you want to buy rendered tokens as the, well, I guess it could go either way. You could see a kind of a drop in the price. Well, you're, you're, you're also, I feel like you're buying a rental company, right? It's almost like services company. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like rental services. It's like, Hey, you need GPU power to power your AI, your, you know, rendering of this like big Hollywood, big budget movie, whatever it is here, tap into this GPU power. If, if people discover this, who actually need GPU power, cause right most people don't know about these things. Like you and I didn't know about this token until today. Um, when people yeah. discover this, maybe it could, you know, take off. Well, 
I mean, if you have like large studios that are seeing the value in this and they're bidding against each other, then you're going to see the the token price go up quite a bit, which conversely will affect, you know, you know, countries or people in poorer countries who can't afford to get things rendered um, as cheaply. I don't know how they're going to deal with that. But that kind of leads us into the tokenomics, which I think will also kind of inform on what that might look like. So um, in terms of the rank, they're number 59 right now in coin market cap. Uh, the current market cap is 822 million. Doing good there. So the max supply is only 530 million tokens. Mm -hmm. That's pretty low. Yep. Well, I mean, maybe not low, but in terms of, um, you know, some of the bigger projects where there's like billions and billions of tokens, and we're talking about a token that's used in a marketplace, that's a little bit of scarcity. Yeah. Is so it capped at that price at the at the max supply? Um that's a good question. I'm not sure if they're gonna mint any more. That's just the max supply right now. The circulating supply is 364 million. Okay. So I'm not sure exactly if they plan on printing more. I'd imagine if price gets too high and it really, you know, prices people out of the market, um, I think they might print more. I don't know. Um, I'll, I haven't read I didn't read their white paper. I probably mm -hmm. should. Um, the current price is $2.26. Um, the all-time high was $8.76 a year ago. Mm -hmm. So it's trading very low, very um, attractive right now. All-time low is about uh, 0.037, and it's up 10% in the last 24 hours. So this is the market we're living in, where the top gainer today is only up 10%. Yeah, yeah. Pretty crazy. Before we'd look and be like, it's up 300%. You know, now it's just like... <laughs> Things are things are more um, conservative, and I like that, you know, in in a way. I, don't get me wrong; I love seeing like tokens up 200 percent, but that's the last thing you want to buy. Yeah, yeah, you exactly. know what I mean. So, um, yeah, so that's Render Token, cool project, uh, great team, um, cool technology, awesome use case. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't give a, uh, financial advice or investment advice, but you know, when it comes to a PTAC, I think it's really checking off a lot of boxes. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that that's a, a really promising token. I feel like the price is so low. It's like, all right, put in, uh, you know, 500 bucks and see what yeah. happens um, type and of thing. A, but I and like it's it. an ERC20 uh, token. So, you know, it's going to be easy to kind of move it around. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to pick some up. Yeah, ERC20, meaning that uh, it's compatible with Ethereum. Yeah. I, don't, I haven't really bought anything in a while. I'm not sure what the gas prices are like right now, but have, have you have you purchased any crypto in a, in a little bit? I have not. I have not. I'm still waiting until the market goes down even further. So <laughs> yeah, I haven't even I bought, I've been buying a little bit here and there, but mostly on Coinbase and moving it to a, a different wallet. Um, But yeah, anyway, that's Render Token, man. Dig it. I love it. I like it. I like it a lot. I thought you'd like uh, that one. Awesome. All right. Well, I did something very different compared to that. Oh, uh, good, good, good. I like the contrast. Yes. Uh, your token has to do with Ethereum. Mine has to do with Bitcoin. You know, Brian, uh... you know, Brian, that I'm not a big fan of Bitcoin. I blasphemy. Yeah, I'm I'm very skeptical. I prefer, I prefer Ethereum a lot more because it has smart contracts, because it has all these apps built on top of it. Right. Like it's doing really innovative stuff. But when I was at consensus, uh -huh. I decided to attend a few Bitcoin talks because I was like, you know what? I got to stay open minded, always stay open minded. So I attended a few Bitcoin talks 
and it got me interested in how they're upgrading Bitcoin. So as you know, Bitcoin, uh, like the real draw behind it is that they've kind of kept it the same, very few upgrades here and there, move slowly and carefully, don't break things. Um, but I've found a few kind of interesting things that have made Bitcoin seem more appealing if they continue in this direction. So today I will be covering the Lightning Network. The Lightning Network. I know that network. It right, like I've seen Lightning Network all over the place as, yeah. as two words. I never knew what it did, and so today I'm actually going to cover it. Um, there is, you know, heads up for everyone. There is no token for the Lightning Network. The Aww. token for the Lightning Network is Bitcoin, but Big. this should make you feel like Bitcoin is more promising. You get us all pumped up. You get us <laughs> jazzed. Uh, no, uh, that's is. Let me ask a question: Is there going to be a token coming? I don't believe so. I don't think they have any plans to do their own token. So uh, the idea here is just to make Bitcoin more useful, and by making Bitcoin more useful, more people will buy Bitcoin, and it helps the Lightning Network. Okay, I'm let's, I'm let's 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 do it. Yeah. So just because they don't have their own coin doesn't mean that you can't invest in you know the crypto behind the lightning network yeah it's just oh. a, it's a it's a it's a use case for for bitcoin yes exactly so yeah. uh the lightning network is basically a layer two solution for bitcoin so um for those people who aren't familiar layer one is like the base cryptocurrency the, the base blockchain and then when people want to do something that's uh, to do something faster or easier, they will build an entire other blockchain on top where they can do transactions and later on they can write them back down to the layer one uh, um, blockchain. So layer two solution. Uh, it basically lets people make Bitcoin transactions without high fees or energy usage. Mm -hmm. So my two like big qualms with Bitcoin is they don't, you know, they don't innovate fast enough. And also, it's so energy intensive and such high fees to do very basic transactions. Mm -hmm. Layer Network, uh, uh, Lightning Network solves that. Um, so Lightning Network is to Bitcoin as Polygon is to Ethereum. That's a good way to think about it. Got it. So uh, it was founded in February 2015 uh, by Joseph Poon and Taj Drija. Drija? Uh, D R Y J A. Not not sure how to pronounce that. Um, is Poon is Poon is that a Comanche name? I have no idea. Is it P O O N? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Come on. Uh, they got together to solve this uh, problem of increasing the amount of transactions that uh, you could do on Bitcoin and with lower fees. Uh, Joseph Poon graduated USC in computer science. He actually co-authored the white paper Plasma. Scalable Autonomous Smart Contracts with a guy called Vitalik Buterin. Ah. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, he's the founder of Ethereum. So they uh, they kind of work together on this uh, pretty impressive and important uh, white paper. Oh. Uh, and then Taj Drija uh, is a cryptocurrency research scientist at the MIT Digital Currency Initiative. Well, look at the big brain on, what's his name? Uh, Taj, I'm just gonna call him Taj. Look at the big brain on Taj. <laughs> Taj, yes, yes. Uh, so yeah, they they uh, co-founded it together. Uh, 
Um, they also, when it was founded, had the support of the then CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey. Um, so he he was really into uh, Lightning Network uh, and actually wanted to make it part of Twitter so that you could do transactions really? on Twitter with him. Um, but oh, as okay. we know, Jack Dorsey left Twitter. Who, Rex Putin? Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of advantage, so there's quite a few advantages here. Uh, the Lightning Network uses this concept of payment channels. And this is actually a concept that Satoshi Nakamoto, the founder of Bitcoin, said this is how people will do transactions with Bitcoin. So these guys are making it actually happen. So hmm. a payment channel basically enables peer-to-peer uh, -peer payment between two people. So you and I can open a payment channel and then we can just pass Bitcoin to each other as much as we want without affecting the actual Bitcoin blockchain. Like we can just do it on the side, you and I. It's like a almost like a little transaction in a, in a dark alley. We don't need everybody to know about our transactions. Just you and me, Brian, just you and I'm me. I'm not giving you any Bitcoin in a dark alley <laughs> ever. So wait a minute. So... um. So basically it's about, so when you think about crypto and being a trust layer, so you create a channel with someone you trust that you know, and then it's easy to send payments back and forth, right? So it's kind of like a Venmo type of system, but for Bitcoin. Yes, exactly. And the idea here is you're using this for small transactions. If I'm going to be sending you $5,000, I want to do that on the actual Bitcoin network, super high security I don't mind paying a gas fee. I don't mind that it's going to take a while. But if I need to send you $5 for that coffee that you bought me, I don't really care if you steal that $5. I mean, I'd be upset with you, but it's like, all right, like Brian's no longer my friend. You know, yeah, that's my buy him coffee. Yeah, well, exactly. okay. I mean, I've got some questions, but I'll, I'll hold to the end. I, I have more. I have more. So they've made it super, super, super easy in order to do Bitcoin transactions. All you have to do is have the other person's address and you can open your own channel with that person. So you can literally have a QR code on your phone. I can just scan that QR code and immediately just send you Bitcoin. I don't need to log in to Coinbase and do all this fancy mm -hmm. stuff. Like, mm -hmm. boom, I just send you some, some Bitcoin. Um, once the channel is established, everybody can transact unlimited amounts. And as many times as you want, it's not expensive. There's no gas fees. It's basically like a ledger between you and I. So yes. we're making our own little micro ledger and we're writing down, oh, you gave me five bucks for that. Oh, you gave me 10 bucks. I gave you seven bucks for that, right? Like we can transact. And only when we want to kind of close out our transaction channel, we're like, all right, we're done sending payments to each other. Those that entire list of transactions then get sent to Bitcoin to get written down. Uh, okay, yeah. so it does make its way to the the ledger eventually, but uh, they're saving gas by not writing everything on the blockchain as it happens. Um, so my question is, and not to not to jump too early on this, but um, so I think one of the things about Bitcoin in terms of like the doing like transactions and using it like for everyday use, especially microtransactions, let's say I, I send you five bucks in Bitcoin. All of a sudden the market goes crazy. Next thing you know, I sent you 5,000 bucks in today's Bitcoin. You know what I mean? And so I, I think that that's the issue with using Bitcoin for transactions like that is because 
you know, some people are like, oh, Bitcoin will be a million dollars in three months and six months. I mean, that, that's pretty wild. But I mean, it could be said that that could happen in five or 10 years. You know what I mean? Who knows? And so in terms of a daily usage token, do you see this this being a, th a thing for it? I feel like people don't want to hold it. I, I think I think it could become usage. So I am imagining a future in, let's say, 10 years, 15 years, right? Like we have to think a little bit longer term than next year, right? Next year, Bitcoin can do all sorts of crazy shit. In 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, when Bitcoin prices eventually stabilize because we're not mining Bitcoin anymore, it's just we've mined it out. The supply is the supply. It never changes. That's when the price can actually become stable because, right, you're no longer expecting, you know, more Bitcoin's going to be put out. There's going to be a happening. Mm -hmm. All these things are going to happen, right? Like it just becomes this, it becomes like gold. There's a certain amount of gold and, you know, the price is pretty stable. We do still mine gold from the earth. But it's it's very small quantities compared to what's already yeah, mostly from the ocean these days. Exactly. So yeah. Bitcoin will be very similar to that. So imagine a world where Bitcoin prices are stable. And then when you send me five dollars in Bitcoin, the price might change to be six dollars or four dollars. But it's it's right. It's still in the ballpark of paying each other. Yeah. OK. I could see that they might have to do something about all those zeros, though. I know it's going to be converted to dollars, but they might want to create like a another like a name for like a, you know, a, a different amount. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like eliminating. So I, I can't send you like 0. 0.00000005 Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, I mean, you would have been able to convert it to dollars, but it should be, there should be like a name that makes it a lot easier where I'm just sending you like, you know, like a dime, you know, is to a dollar. There's, there's probably going to be anyway. Cool. I, I get it. Yep. I, I like the, I like the future you envision. Exactly, exactly. So um, that is what the Lightning Network's main purpose is. Um, it has a few other uh, purposes that are kind of secondary. They're still, you know, uh, building on top of it. Um, these are four additional products that they have. I'll just name them quickly. Uh, the first one's called Loop. Loop allows users to make a Lightning transaction um, to an on-chain Bitcoin address or send an on-chain Bitcoin directly into mm. the lightning channel. So you can technically, I could send this directly to the uh, Bitcoin blockchain using lightning network. Um, they also have this thing called pool. It helps manage the liquidity uh, needs of the lightning network. Um, so that's like an additional layer of tech. Uh, they have this thing called Taro. It basically helps issue or mint assets on the lightning network. So if you're going to be uh, putting new assets on the network, you're going to use Taro. And then they have this thing called Faraday, which is kind of interesting. Um, it's a data analytics tool that helps the actual node operators optimize the channels and the flows of funds hmm. on the network. So uh, it's kind of like an, a little analytics dashboard that they've built out. Got it. So you're going to be able to build apps on the, on the blockchain network using Lightning. Yeah, yeah, you you can basically they're they're they they function very similarly to a company in that they're like building new products, new functionality, yeah. um, in a a bit of a centralized way, but uh, in a pretty solid way. There was a wasn't there another project that was was doing uh, smart contracts written on the Bitcoin network. Didn't we do one of those? I'm sure we have. I don't yeah. remember if you did it or I did it. Okay. Anyway, um, cool. 
Yeah. Cool. We'll and so uh, the idea here is you and I can create a channel between each other, but that's kind of a hassle, right? So let's say, oh, now like, say I, I want to just transact in Bitcoin. Now I have to open a channel with my coffee shop, with my grocery store, with my, right? Like that gets tedious. It's like, oh, yeah. I got to open yeah. all these channels. They've already thought of that. Basically, if that uh, coffee shop has already made a channel onto the Lightning Network with anybody else, uh, they can route your payment to them automatically because they're already connected to the network. So that's where the word network comes in. Lightning Network is once you're on the network, we don't have to necessarily make like a direct channel. We can send it through a few proxies and it'll still get to you. Okay, hold on. Take a step back. So let's say I'm a coffee shop. And I have a channel with somebody else. Yep. And I go to make a payment. I'm not sending it to them. I'm just sending it to one of the channels they already have in place. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine I visit this coffee shop all the time. And so me and this coffee shop have opened the channel. And Brian comes along to the coffee shop and he goes, hey, I'll, I'll pay for my coffee with Bitcoin here. And you send money to their address. Instead of you having to, to open a new channel with them, it would go through me and your channel, right? It would go, hey, Bo Brian's connected to Bogdan. Bogdan's connected to the coffee shop. Let me just pass this money through rather than having to open a brand new channel. So it, there, yeah, so there would have to be some connection between the, the, the parties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the okay. beauty of it is as the network gets bigger and bigger and bigger, more and more people become connected, right? The chances that someone you know who knows someone who knows someone who knows someone who knows someone is going to have a channel becomes even higher and higher. So you're going to need fewer like direct channels between each other. Got it. Okay. So there it is. Yeah, it's, it's literally a network effect in terms of these channels. Yeah. But once you have too many channels, don't you lose some of the trust? Uh, you don't because at, when you open a channel, you do have to put like your your Bitcoin is at risk. So uh, they can take if you try and take someone's Bitcoin by doing a hack, they'll just take your Bitcoin, uh, you know, that's already connected to the network. Yeah, I'm thinking more on the lines of like, you know, if you're, once the network gets really big, then it's really, you know, say like I'm, I, I, I want to buy something from you. And you have a network, we have a network, and we have maybe our one of our one of our other friends, other friends' friends, a six degrees of, of lightning network connection. And then I send it to you, and then you're like, eh, I'm not giving you shit, Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they they are working on that problem. Uh, they're working on it in a little bit of a centralized solution. So they have these things called watchtowers, which basically watch the transactions and make sure that everything is is happening in a kosher way. Um, but it right, nothing is foolproof. So this is one of the flaws in this network system. Mm -hmm. But again, the idea of this is for it to be for small transactions. So yeah. if you steal my $5, my $10, if someone like steals it, it's like, all right, they're going to get kicked off the network. They're going to be flagged. They're going to lose yeah. their privileges for what? For $10? Like it, yeah. it's not shady people out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, so, um, no, that makes sense. Um, on a small scale, yeah. uh, you know, the cost of... Um, yeah, it's it's not you're not gonna lose a lot if something does go wrong. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, okay. um, yeah. Uh, in terms of community, Lightning Network has go uh, has uh, grown to hold a Bitcoin capacity of three thousand 
bitcoins, mm. which is pretty it's, impressive. Yeah. Um, currently has 17,000 nodes operating okay. on the network. So uh, each of those nodes, right, has been connected to the network. Um, so not enormous, but also not small, like a, a good amount of nodes. And currently there are 73,700 unique channels connecting to those nodes. How many? 73,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. So so yeah. it's it's still early days, right? Like people are using Lightning Network because it's more convenient. But because there aren't that many people in the crypto space, uh, the numbers are still going to be small, especially right now. I mean, it seems like a lot. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I I would hope this would be in the future millions of years, yeah. you know, uh, type of thing. So, uh, yeah, in terms of tokenomics, because there's no token, I'm just going to give you the tokenomics of Bitcoin right now. <laughs> Do it. It, it, it'll be fun. Yeah, market cap for Bitcoin right now is $562 billion. Spicy. Almost a, like half a trillion dollars. Okay. Uh, market rank, uh, still number one, baby. Yeah, baby. Bitcoin. Uh, All time high, $68,000. Are you ready to cry, Brian? That's a trillion dollar token. Ready? All time low, four cents. Ugh. Oh, oh, just about a bit a little bit sooner. Exactly. Bit wiser. Current price is twenty nine thousand dollars. Yeah. Circulating yeah. supply nineteen point three million. Max supply twenty one million. We are almost at the max supply, guys. Gosh. Yeah. Oh boy. We're getting there. Getting so close. Yeah. So there you go. That is the Lightning Network. That is one of the reasons to have faith in Bitcoin still. And this yeah. is coming from a guy who's really into Ethereum and believes Ethereum is the future. <laughs> but I wanted to cover something something that, uh, you know, will open my mind a little bit. Uh, you know, I think what happened is you, you wandered off the off the reservation at Consensus and you went into the, some weird Bitcoin cult meeting where they, they brainwashed you, they made you wear like a Bitcoin hat and they dunked you in a in a, in a pool of, of purified Bitcoin water and you... Your clown got up and you're just waving your hands, speaking in tongues, and they converted you, man. They, they did have some funny pointy hats. I, I didn't want to say anything, but yeah, it was, it was a little weird. Yeah, that's a Bitcoin conference for you. <laughs> Are you sure you weren't in Miami? <laughs> um, you know, we talk about like, you know, the low price of Bitcoin and that four cents, but I mean, who, who's got the, you know, the hair on their peaches to hold that token, hold that Bitcoin from four cents to, to the high at 60,000, you know, you're selling at a hundred bucks thinking like <laughs> you're made it, you know? Yep. Oh man. I mean, like, yeah, and that takes a lot of, a lot of fortitude to, to just hold on to it thinking like, you know, after a thousand, after 2000, yeah. when you paid four cents for it, oh man, you would have cashed out. And you would have been happy, right? Like, just yeah, enjoy uh, your gains. Enjoy your gains. I'd have been happier if you waited. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, uh, Bitcoin, the the father of them all. Yeah, good stuff, man. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I like the concept. I think it makes sense to to build out more utility for Bitcoin. Um, yeah, I think I think it's 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 a good it's a good idea. Uh, what's the how how do they make money on it? Do they take a percentage of transactions? What's their what's their play? Uh, no, yeah, I, I knew that you would ask this question, so I am prepared. Um, nodes can set a flat rate price and they can also set a percentage price. So nodes can, but the, the, uh, 
prices are re relatively small, right? Because it's going to route to the cheapest node. Right. Possible. Well, what about the Lightning Network? Well, how are they making money on this? That I could not figure out. I, I literally looked up how does Lightning Network make money? Couldn't find anything. Uh, so I'm guessing if I had to make a guess, they're probably taking some type of fee. Yeah. Every transaction, like, you know, like a really micro, micro, micro fee. But when you multiply yeah. that. Probably. Well, yeah, once you have a network of a million channels, yeah. and everybody's sending five bucks and they're taking 0.001%, then yeah. their bag's going to fill up quite a bit. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, also, uh, you know, they'll make money on just the uh, liquidity play. That's true. That's true. So there's that too. Exactly. Uh, cool, man. Lightning and render. Yeah. It's two two good cryptocurrencies. We had two good listener questions. Yeah. It's been a pretty good episode. If you guys have any questions about anything we talked about today, remember you can write to us at crypto safari. Sorry, questions yeah. at cryptosafari.us uh, and we will answer them on the next podcast. Until then, may your GPUs be rendering and may <laughs> your lightning be networking. Yeah, I like it. Adios. Bye.